Long History, Henry Hudson, Journey 3, Part 8, Back to New York Bay and Home to England. How did New York's famous river, the Hudson, and Canada's vast Hudson Bay get their names? Here on Long History, we'll look at Hudson's four famous journeys, using accounts written by the man himself and people who took part in the voyages. Hello everyone, this is Long History. It's the opposite of brief histories. Here we like to rescue documents from the vaults and split them up into chunks of 10 minutes or so, so you can string them all together and listen to eyewitness accounts of some of the world's most famous explorations. At the moment, we're looking at Henry Hudson's diverse voyages and northern discoveries, which contains four journeys. Hudson's already attempted to find a route to the Far East via the North Pole and via the Northeast, north of Russia. We're well into the third journey now, where Hudson explored the North American coastline. And in the previous episode, he headed up the Hudson River. And this is actually the last part of the third journey. So in this episode, Hudson heads back down the Hudson River and then quickly returns home. So a new journey will start with the next episode. But in total, there are 25 parts to this series. Now each episode, as far as it can, will stand on its own but feel free if you want to listen to the full context to explore the previous 15 parts of this series and the other journeys that have already taken place. And if you're interested in this kind of thing, don't forget we've got journeys by lots of other explorers now on Long History, from world famous names such as Sir Walter Raleigh to pioneering explorations across the Pacific and North America. There's lots to explore. Now in this episode, Hudson goes back down the Hudson River so at the end of the episode, I'll go through the places he's been and give the suggestions that have been made by historians about where those places would be on modern maps. So here we go with Henry Hudson, Journey 3, Part 8, Back to New York Bay and Home to England. The 5 and 20th was fair weather and the wind at south with a stiff gale. We rode still and went on land to walk on the west side of the river and found good ground for corn and other garden herbs, with great store of goodly oaks and walnut trees and chestnut trees, yew trees and trees of sweet wood in great abundance, and store of slate for houses and other good stones. The sixth and twentieth was fair weather, and the wind at south a stiff gale. We rode still. In the morning our carpenter went on land, with our master's mate and four more of our company, to cut wood. This morning two canoes came up the river, from the place where we first found loving people, and in one of them was the old man that had lain aboard of us at the other place. He brought another old man with him, which brought more strokes of beads, and gave them to our master, and showed him all the country thereabout as though it were at his command so he made the two old men dine with him and the old man's wife, for they brought two old women and two young maidens of the age of sixteen and seventeen years with them, who behaved themselves very modestly. Our master gave one of the old men a knife, and they gave him and us tobacco. And at one of the clock they departed down the river, making signs that we should come down to them, for we were within two leagues of the place where they dwelt. The seven and twentieth in the morning was fair weather, but much wind at the north. 
we weighed and set our fore topsail, and our ship would not flat, but ran on the oozy bank at half ebb. We laid out anchor to heave her off, but could not, so we sate from half ebb to half flood. Then we set our foresail and main topsail, and got down six leagues. The old man came aboard, and would have us anchor and go on land to eat with him. But, the wind being fair, we would not yield to his request. So he left us, being very sorrowful of our departure. At five of the clock in the afternoon, the wind came to the south-southwest, so we made a board or two and anchored in fourteen fathoms water. Then our boat went on shore to fish right against the ship. Our master's mate and botswain and three more of the company went on land to fish but could not find a good place. They took four or five and twenty mullets, breams, basses and barbills and returned in an hour. We rode still all night. The eight and twentieth, being fair weather, as soon as the day was light, we weighed at half ebb and turned down two leagues below water, for the stream doth run the last quarter ebb. Then we anchored till high water. At three of the clock in the afternoon we weighed and turned down three leagues until it was dark, then we anchored. The nine and twentieth was dry, close weather, the wind at south and south and by west. We weighed early in the morning and turned down three leagues by low water and anchored at the lower end of the long reach, for it is six leagues long. Then there came certain Indians in a canoe to us, but would not come aboard. After dinner there came the canoe with other men, whereof three came aboard us. They brought Indian wheat, which we bought for trifles. At three of the clock in the afternoon we weighed, as soon as the ebb came, and turned down to the edge of the mountains, or the northernmost of the mountains, and anchored. Because the high land hath many points, and a narrow channel, and hath many eddy winds. So we rode quietly all night in seven fathoms water. The thirtieth was fair weather, and the wind at south-east, a stiff gale between the mountains. We rode still the afternoon. The people of the country came aboard us and brought some small skins with them, which we bought for knives and trifles. This is a very pleasant place to build a town on. The road is very near and very good for all winds, save an east-north-east wind. The mountains look as if some metal or mineral were in them, for the trees that grow on them were all blasted, and some of them barren, with few or no trees on them. The people brought a stone aboard like an emery, a stone used by glazers to cut glass. It would cut iron or steel. Yet, being bruised small and water put to it, it made a colour like black lead glistering. It is also good for painters' colours. At three of the clock they departed, and we rode still all night. The 1st of October, fair weather, the wind variable between the west and the north. In the morning we weighed at seven of the clock with the ebb, and got down below the mountains, which was seven leagues. Then it fell calm, and the flood was come, and we anchored at twelve of the clock. 
the people of the mountains came aboard us, wondering at our ship and weapons. We bought some small skins of them for trifles. This afternoon, one canoe kept hanging under our stern with one man in it, which we could not keep from thence, who got up by our rudder to the cabin window and stole out my pillow and two shirts and two bandoliers. Our master's mate shot at him and struck him on the breast and killed him, whereupon all the rest fled away, some in their canoes, and so leapt out of them into the water. We manned our boat and got our things again. Then one of them that swam got hold of our boat, thinking to overthrow it. But our cook took a sword and cut off one of his hands, and he was drowned. By this time the ebb was come, and we weighed and got down two leagues. By that time it was dark, so we anchored in four fathoms water and rode well. The second, fair weather. At break of day we weighed, the wind being at northwest, and got down seven leagues. Then the flood was come strong, so we anchored. Then came one of the savages that swam away from us at our going up the river, with many other, thinking to betray us. But we perceived their intent, and suffered none of them to enter our ship. Whereupon two canoes full of men, with their bows and arrows, shot at us after our stern. In recompense whereof, we discharged six muskets, and killed two or three of them. Then above an hundred of them came to a point of land to shoot at us. There I shot a falcon at them, and killed two of them. Whereupon the rest fled into the woods. Yet they manned off another canoe with nine or ten men, which came to meet us. So I shot at it also a falcon, and shot it through, and killed one of them. Then our men with their muskets killed three or four more of them. So they went their way. Within a while after, we got down two leagues beyond that place, and anchored in a bay, clear from all danger of them on the other side of the river, where we saw a very good piece of ground. And hard by it there was a cliff, that looked of the colour of a white green, as though it were either copper or silver mine, and I think it to be one of them by the trees that grow upon it, for they all be burned, and the other places are green as grass. It is on that side of the river that is called Manahatta. There we saw no people to trouble, but had much wind and rain. The third was very stormy, the wind at east-north-east. In the morning, in a gust of wind and rain, our anchor came home, and we drove on ground, but it was oozy. Then, as we were about to have out an anchor, the wind came to the north-north-west, and drove us off again. Then we shot an anchor, and let it fall in four fathoms water, and weighed the other. We had much wind and rain, with thick weather, so we rode still all night. The fourth was fair weather, and the wind at north-north-west. We weighed and came out of the river into which we had run so far. Within a while after, we came out also of the great mouth of the great river, that runneth up to the north-west, borrowing upon the norther side of the same, thinking to have deep water. For we had sounded a great way with our boat at our first going in, 
and found seven, six and five fathoms. So we came out that way, but we were deceived, for we had but eight foot and an half water. And so three, five, three and two fathoms and an half. And then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine and ten fathoms. And by twelve of the clock we were clear of all the inlet. Then we took in our boat and set our mainsail and spritsail and our topsails and steered away east-south-east and south-east by east off into the main sea. And the land on the southern side of the bay or inlet did bear at noon west and by south four leagues from us. The fifth was fair weather and the wind variable between the north and the east. We held on our course south-east by east. At noon I observed and found our height to be 39 degrees 30 minutes. Our compass varied 6 degrees to the west. We continued our course toward England without seeing any land by the way all the rest of this month of October. And on the 7th day of November, Stilo Novo being Saturday, by the grace of God, we safely arrived in the range of Dartmouth in Devonshire in the year 1609. After exploring the Hudson River and the New York area, before New York was even an idea, Hudson documents his journey home in just a few sentences. And his third journey, his most momentous yet, comes to an end. Some noteworthy things in this episode are the moments when the document notes how nice this area is. It's the first time, I think, in these documents that the notion of colonisation has been brought up. There's one point along the river where he talks about a great store of goodly oaks and walnut trees and chestnut trees and even talks of great store of slate for houses and other good stones. Later on in this episode the document says this is a very pleasant place to build a town on and I don't actually know which came first. Did such a comment lead to colonisation of the area or was this comment just a lucky coincidence? And the other aspect of this episode which goes hand in hand with colonisation, I suppose, is the violence that takes place in the episode, which is particularly provoked, I think, when a man tries to come aboard the ship and he, according to this document, steals something and gets shot and killed. And we see how that mistrust mentioned in earlier episodes and this one little event quickly ramps up and brings with it more and more violence. Right, so now we'll look at the geography of the places that were visited by Henry Hudson and his men. On the 27th of September it says, so we made a board or two and anchored in 14 fathoms water. This was said by a historian called Moulton to be in the area of Red Hook. The day after on the 28th there's a quotation, for the stream doth run the last quarter ebb. Then we anchored till high water. This is said to be near Esopus Island and forgive my pronunciation here. On the following day, on the 29th of September, it says, At three of the clock in the afternoon we weighed, as soon as the ebb came, and turned down to the edge of the mountains, or the northernmost of the mountains, and anchored, because the high land hath many points and a narrow channel, and hath many eddy winds. And the footnote here says, Below Poughkeepsie, I have no idea how to say that word, Beacon Hill in the neighbourhood of that place, and opposite New Windsor, is 1,685 feet high. 
This port of Hudson River is noted for its heavy winds. On the 2nd of October, it says, they manned off another canoe with nine or ten men which came to meet us. So I shot at it also a falcon and shot it through and killed one of them. Then our men with their muskets killed three or four more of them. And Moulton, the historian, thinks that this scene took place at the upper end of the island of Manhattan. And perhaps it's worth making clear that I am sometimes quoting directly from the footnotes of the original text I'm using here, particularly because I don't know the area myself. On the 2nd of October also, it says, It is on that side of the river that is called Manahatta. There we saw no people to trouble, but had much wind and rain. And that, of course, is said to be Manhattan itself, although apparently there is a little bit of dispute about that. But the footnote does add, All the early chroniclers, as well as the early maps and views, agree in giving that island the Indian name which it still bears. And the final quotation is as they leave the bay. Within a while after, we came out also of the great mouth of the great river that runneth up to the northwest, borrowing upon the northern side of the same, thinking to have deep water. And the location according to a footnote, I'll quote it directly here. The mouth of the Hudson trends to the northwest, where Raritan River falls into it. So there you go, that's all the information I have at hand anyway. So I hope that was interesting and useful, some of the earliest descriptions ever written by Europeans about the Hudson River. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, if you have please do give it a like before you move on and don't forget to share it with like-minded people. In the next episode, Hudson's final fateful journey will begin. And anyone who's followed all the episodes of Henry Hudson's voyages will see how the trajectory of the voyages just ramps up and up as the discoveries and the meetings and the disagreements with local people increase and increase. And really, although some of the most famous and consequential explorations are now out of the way, there are lots more yet to come, and certainly the drama keeps ramping up. But that's it for Henry Hudson's third journey. Thank you for listening, everyone. It's much appreciated. This was Henry Hudson, Journey 3, Part 8 back to New York Bay and home to England. Goodbye.